Philippians chapter 4. Rene Descartes said something very famous. He said, I think, therefore I am, I think. <laughs> the thinking is something that uh, we're all supposed to do. Uh, Pascal said that man is a thinking reed. A weak and pliant thing, but nevertheless conscious and self-directed. Conscious and self-directed. Interesting thing about the mind. No one has ever observed the mind. Uh, You see the brain, but the mind is something beyond the brain. No one's ever dissected an emotion. It's something that's invisible. There's no x-ray that's ever revealed the soul. Psychologists are not even sure how to define the mind. And people like Freud did their very best and uh, made a big mess of things, if you ask me. But what's interesting about Freud's work is the concept of the id, the ego, the superego. They can't even find it. Which, where does one start and the other begin? It's impossible to really understand. I want to tell you about, a, 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 before we get into the, the scripture, I want to tell you about a test or a survey, a study that was done uh, in Stanford University back in the 70s, I believe it was. And uh, it was done by uh, some folks who wanted to diagnose, they, they wanted to study psychiatric diagnoses. They wanted to be able to determine how accurate they were. And so... They, it's recorded in a book, a book uh, written by Judy, uh, Judy Striano, called How to Find a Good Psychotherapist, a Consumer Guide. And here's what she said in the book. A psychologist by the name of Dr. Uh, of D.L. Rosenhan, a professor of psychology and law at Stanford University, had eight perfectly sane people. These are, this is in quote, quotes, perfectly sane people. Uh, Rosenhan himself, one graduate student, three psychologists, a, pediatri- a pediatrician, a psychiatrist, uh, I'm having trouble this morning, psychiatrist, and a woman who was a homemaker. These are the, the subjects of the study. And they were admitted to 12 different mental hospitals. The attending psychiatrists were told that these patients, quote unquote, were hearing voices Otherwise, these normal people, mostly graduate students, gave completely truthful histories to the psychiatrists. Every one of them, all 12, were diagnosed as schizophrenic, except one who was diagnosed as manic depressive. Once admitted, these people, the only thing that they heard was wrong with them was that they had been hearing voices. Everything else was true in their bio that they gave the the doctors. They acted perfectly normal once they were admitted, but they were held for 7 to 52 days, the average being 19 days, held and given over 2,100 pills total. The true patients on the wards often recognized them as pseudo-patients, but the staff never did. Once labeled, the staff's perception of them was apparently so profoundly colored that normal behavior was seen as part of their psychosis. Well, of course they would act normal. That's part of their shtick. In an even more damning postscript to the experiment, Rosenhan told one hospital what he had done. This man was devious. He then told them that he would try to gain admission for another pseudo-patient within the next three months. He said, I'm going to try to get another one. It's not really a patient, but I'm going to put him in there and uh, just to try to determine how accurate these diagnoses are. So the staff was very concerned, ever watchful for the pseudo-patient who was never sent. The staff labeled 41 of the next 193 admissions as suspected pseudo-patients. Over half of these were so labeled by a psychiatrist. The experimenter, so in other words, he said, I'm sending you another fake patient. Never did, but they labeled 41 of them as fake patients. 
You ever heard the term shell game? That's what we're talking about. The experimenter concluded any diagnostic process that lends itself so readily to massive errors of this sort cannot be a very reliable one. And it is the truth. When you have a broken arm, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that your arm is broken. If you have a bad heart, they have tests that can reveal what's wrong and what to do to fix it. But if you have problems in the mind, it is a roaring wasteland. No one really knows what's going on, but there's a pill for that. And there's a pill to deal with the pill, and then there's a pill to deal with the pill that deals with the pill. And then there's also, you'll never guess, but there's also medication to help you deal with the pill that deals with the pill that deals with the pill. It's never any. But if you're a psychiatrist or if you go to a psychologist, this may be a little bit of a bumpy ride today. And here's the reason. As Americans, we're, we have a hard time doing something. We, we can spend money. We know how to eat. We know how to laugh. We know how to have fun. We love entertainment. But there's one thing that we really struggle with. Thinking. Thinking is very tough. Thinking is hard. Thinking is not always easy. The Bible says, he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The more you know, you might be better prepared, but you're also going to have more to worry about. Thinking is hard. And I want you to understand, if if you are involved in psychology or uh, psychiatry, um, you're talking about something that is largely guesswork. And in fact, when you get down to bare bones, there is a lot of similarity between those, that, those areas of study and religion. Why? We place faith in the unknown, in the unseen. We have faith in what we cannot see, except we have a guidebook. We place faith in our unseen God because he has told us who he is and what he has done. Now, I'm not telling you if you're out there uh, going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist that you need to immediately stop and burn the place down. But I do think you should stop and think about it. And I think you should really stop just using some fallible man's thoughts and you should start looking at God's thoughts. God has a lot to say about the mind. Truth is, we don't even know where our thoughts come from, but we know that we can think. That's why Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And we know that we can direct our thoughts and we can discipline thoughts once they have appeared in our minds and we can check them for veracity. If someone said, I am a blue elephant, There's no way I can determine what that person is thinking in his or her mind, but I certainly can check their thought for veracity. Is it true? Doesn't matter what a person feels if it's not true. We can check them for decency, for consistency. James Allen wrote a little book called As a Man Thinketh. He said this, man's mind may be likened to a garden which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. But whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. Something is growing in your mind. Whether you want it to or not, whether you're thinking about it or not. John Locke wrote this, the great... uh, philosopher from way back when had a lot of things wrong, but this is one that he got right. He said, temples have their sacred images and we see what influence they have always had over a greater part of mankind. But in truth, the ideas and the images in man's mind are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. There's something inside of you that's running your life. And it's your thoughts. Your thoughts are running you. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 23, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm here to tell you today, we need to think about our thoughts. It's a lot of money being made for people to tell you what you are thinking. 
And if you're not careful, they can give you a narrative that never happened. Or at least not the way that they're saying it. We need to think about our thoughts. Believers, we are in a war for our minds. The world system is continually bombarding us through television, through billboards, through music, through the internet, through our phones, books, you name it. The goal of this world system, this anti-God culture, is to control our actions by first controlling our minds. And just to get it off my chest, this message is not going to do you any good, believer, if you leave and say, boy, that was good, and go back to exactly the same habits of thinking that you have. I might as well not even say it. Some of you said, amen, let's close in prayer. (laughs) You're not getting off that easy, amen. (laughs) I told somebody, I said, look, if it's time, time to quit, you don't bother me at all if you get up and leave, amen. And uh, we'll close when we're ready to close. I've got some things I think that'll be a help to you from the word of God today. I want you to take your Bibles. Uh, first, let's look at, at, at Philippians chapter 4 here, and we're going to read uh, several verses, verses 6, 7, and 8. He said, be careful for nothing, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be full of care. Don't let your inbox fill up. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and, what's the word, church? Minds through Christ Jesus. It is impossible for your mind to be kept unless you have followed verse 6 to the letter. Your mind will not be kept unless you take everything to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let your request be made known to God. If your request is God, sort my mind out. I can't think properly. Turn it into a prayer request. Wouldn't it be better to do that than to jump into a supplement right off the bat? Amen. To download an app that purports to fix your mind for you? I'm not suggesting that there's nothing that can help. I get hangry often. If I don't eat, I'm going to have a hard time. The Lord never said, you should not have food, just trust in me. Of course he wants me to eat. And there's something amazing about my attitude that adjusts when I have food, proper food. There's nothing wrong with getting rest and supplements. There's nothing wrong with getting some perspective on how you're thinking and so forth. But, but those are secondary. Those are after I talk to God. Not in place of God. After. You'll find sometimes that when you take it to God in prayer and you turn your prayers into cares and you thank God for all that's going on, you're not as interested in that app. You're not as interested in tracing, chasing somebody down and saying, would you please tell me who you're going to see? Why? God has amazing power. What, what good is God if he doesn't affect our lives anywhere? What good is it? Why are we pretending about this book that supposedly came from God who created everything if it never has any kind of grab or hold in my life? I'll tell you what it is. It's worthless. The only thing we can guarantee people coming to church is they're not committing acts of violence most of the time in church. So we're off the streets and we're not hurting one another. But we could be doing, we could do the same thing if we, if we went to watch a, a football game or if we went to uh, go play a round of golf. Go take a few laps at the Y. What good is God. If he doesn't impact the way you think, he ought to impact the way you think. And he will. He will not force you. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 15. Let me give you a helpful thought to begin, and that is this. All sin begins in your thoughts. Matthew 15. Look at verse 17. The Bible often uses the term heart for the thoughts. 
the mind. He says in 17, 15, 17, do, ye, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft. What is that? That's the sanitation system. Right? The food that enters our body is very closely watched by a lot of people. Be careful. You want to have too many uh, greasy foods. You want to have healthy foods. Lots of fiber. Lots of green. Keep it lean and mean, baby. Make sure that you're, you're watching your carbs. You're watching your calories. How about this? Watch what goes into your mind. Watch the thoughts you have. The food that enters the mind has to be watched just as closely as the food that enters the body. He says here... Whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly. It's physical and it's processed physically. But those things which proceed out of the, out of the mouth cometh forth from the heart. Does it make you feel better to know that you are eating a free-range chicken? When I go to Chipotle, I, I, I criticize them. I go there sometimes. But, uh, you know, I, they've taken a chill pill here recently, it seems like to me. But for a while there, it was like we only serve chickens who were raised in our house. And we named them and we gave them three square meals. And we had a bed for them and had a bedtime. We let them watch a few documentaries, but not too anything bad. And we were very careful on their intake. And then we killed them. And we fed them to you. It's amazing how people can be so concerned about cage-free eggs and how we have no, uh, what are those things, GMOs, genetically modified organisms that are put into our food because that is bad. Hold out your hand. Turn it upside down. Bad boy. Don't eat that food. And yet they binge junk on their phone all day long. They listen to music that literally is deteriorating their mind. They watch images on their phone and they think it's okay because, watch this, this is their quotation marks, it's a victimless crime. Except two people, God and you. And it eats away at your soul. It's corrosive to your very being. And yet I guess it's okay. Because at least it's not, you know, you're not eating, you know, harmful food. Red, you know, red 40, yellow, green, yellow 5. I'm not suggesting those things are good for your body. I'm just suggesting if we're so all fired concerned about that, we ought to be concerned about what goes into our mind. What do we think? It's very important. He says here, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Where do they come from? From your wicked heart. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You know why somebody robs someone else? Because they've been thinking about robbing somebody else. You know why they jump in bed with someone who they, they're not married to? Because they've been thinking about doing that. This is the reason why we sin. Because we have that sin in our heart. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. No one commits these outward sins without first committing them in their mind. If you want to grow in godliness, believer... You need to grow and win the battle over sin at the thought level. The thought level. The greatest area in the life of a believer, the greatest area of sin, is not in the area of actions. It's the area of thoughts. A lot of thought, there's a lot of sins that we, we, we would not call sins, but we'd, we'd say, well, they're sins of the mind, but no one knows you have them. What was the sin of Lucifer? Envy and pride. You know what that is? A sin of the mind. Before Lucifer ever did anything, he thought about doing it. What is lust? It's a sin of the mind. What is covetousness? A sin of the mind. How about greed? It's a sin of the mind. Suspicion, a sin of the mind. How about discouragement? It's a sin of the mind. By the way, depression is real close 
to sin. No, depression is it, it's, it's because of all the... Blah, 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 blah. The Bible says we are, we are greatly perplexed, but not in despair. Not in despair. We've got to be careful, believers. We can allow sin to rule and reign in our minds all the while pretending that it's not a sin. These sins are actually more real to the average believer than adultery and fornication and murder. Why? They can happen without anyone knowing it. Satan is attacking the mind. Now, let's look at some scripture now. Let's, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to tell you three things that you need Three things you must do with your mind. The Bible tells us in Romans 1.28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Before a person knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he or she has a depraved mind. Here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to receive the mind of Christ by being born again. Receive the mind of Christ by being born again. If you want to take notes, that's the first, the first thing I would suggest to you from Scripture. Receive the mind of Christ by being born again. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 3, he said, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He's talking about the children of wrath, the prince of the power of the air, the course of this world. You feel like there's a course? Do you feel like you're kind of being pushed along? You feel, you feel like they're telling us what to do? You feel like you, you used to be able to think clearly and now you can't? It's muddy? You know what that is? It's the devil. It's the wicked Satan who hates God, and it's the culture that he desires to build against God. And crazy enough, crazy, crazily enough, our human nature that we're born with, that Adamic sinful nature, is uniquely able to pick up the frequency of Satan in this world. You see, it's not just other stuff that happened to me. And here's where psychologists have a hard time. you got to sin nature. Bad things happen to you, but you did bad things too. Which of them should be punished more? Let me guess. They should be punished more. Because your sin is not quite as bad as their sin. Are we getting close? In fact, there's a good chance you never would have sinned if they hadn't done those things to you. <laughs> now you're talking Satan's language. He's like, that's my girl. That's my guy right there. They're lying to themselves. Who's the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. And he will even lie to you and tell you that you're not a sinner. God says, no, 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 no. I, I was there when it started. You're a sinner. The Bible says death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. What that means is rewind the tape. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Put you and your spotless character there without any sin. And you would have made the same choice that Adam and Eve did. Same nature. And he says this. We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's what it's all about. I have a desire that I must fill. I want to be the king of this world, or at least the king of my house. I want to be the queen of this area. I'm tired of being pushed down and shoved around and not cared for, and I am going to fulfill my desire. And the Lord says, yeah, just like everybody else. Everybody else is wandering around fulfilling their desires. And the Bible says they're death. They're dead in trespasses and sins. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
by grace ye are saved. Saved. It's a Bible word. It means there's some that are not saved and there's some that are. By grace you can be saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift of eternal life that is given to you when you put your trust in Christ's death and burial and resurrection. What you could not do for yourself, Jesus did for you. And it's a free gift. You receive it by His grace. What is grace? Grace, I'm about to, about to pound you, but God. So instead of God pounding you and putting you in hell where you deserve to go, Jesus Christ paid for your sin. And He died He was put into the ground and he rose again. And his resurrection power over death, over hell, over sin proves that the payment is finished. It's over with. It's clear. You don't have to go and get dunked somewhere. You don't have to go and and work hard and, and take confirmation classes and catechism and really try and stop doing that. Amen. There's probably good in all those things. But salvation is a gift from God to you. If it's a gift, you can't buy it. You don't put Christianity on a layaway plan. You don't use a firm to pay $10 a month until you get it paid off. What do you use? There's nothing you can do except believe. Believe that it's enough. You believe that Jesus did it. That Jesus can make God not just Say, okay, Jesus is God's beloved son. And he makes God exhilarated with those who come to him through Jesus Christ. God is wildly happy about those who repent and come to him. Why? Because he's happy about his son. So if you receive Jesus, you come and say, Lord, I'm the reason you're on that cross. If there were no other sinners in the world... You would have had to come and die for me because I am a sinner and my sin is taking me to hell. But God, I trust you. I trust what you did, not what I'm doing, not what I will do when I finally stop this and finally get my act. No, I'm trusting you and you alone. See, that's why it's called repentance. We have to turn away from what I think I can do to make it right and say there's nothing I can do. I turned to everything that Jesus did. And it's amazing. It's a switch. It's not a dial. I'm starting to get saved. I'm, I'm, all, I'm starting to be born. You're either born or you're not born. You turn from your own wicked flesh and your own ways, and even your self-righteousness. This is the hard one. Turn away from you and the good stuff that you have. The plans, the ideas, the ways you're going to fix it. You're going to cut caffeine out. I'll tell you that right now. No more caffeine. Stop in porn. No more. Okay, there's, there's good in that. Yeah, you should. But if you can earn heaven by what you did, then what in the world did God let Jesus die on the cross for? If you're just basically Jesus in process, then wh- the, the, why? You know, Jesus was God's beloved son. Why would he let him die? I can tell you why. There's nothing in your flesh that you can ever do that will earn heaven for you. Nothing. All right, so what does that mean? I turn from my own religion, my own hatred, my own junk, all me, and I turn to all him, and I put my faith on what he did for me. You see what happens? Here's what happens. When that, when that takes place, you go from being you trying to be better to my old nature, my old man, all that junk is gone. And I have Jesus Christ now, not just as kind of like, okay, I'll look the other way and let you into heaven. Don't let me see you up here. That's not God. That's not what he does. You know what he does? He gives you the nature of Jesus Christ. So believers, you got to remember this. You're not just going to heaven because of a prayer you prayed back there. You're going to heaven because Jesus Christ made you a member of his body. You have the mind of Christ. Look what he says in verse number 9. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing that I can do. The greatest Christian you've ever heard of had nothing that he could bring to prove that he was worthy of heaven. But then he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now look down at chapter 4. You see, what happens when you receive, when you get saved, when you're born again, you have now a new nature that is able to obey God. Chapter 4, verse 22. He said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The old man, that's your flesh. The new man, that's Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 7. Said the carnal mind, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So, then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here's something you need to understand, a believer. Now, you may, not, you may know this, you may think you know this, but you have to continually remind yourself of this. Paul is writing to believers at Rome. And he says to the believers at Rome, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Is he saying that they were no longer alive physically and that they were now in heaven? No. He's saying that the real you, who is the real me? If I just knew who I am, what my passion is, I could live. You're dead believer, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What does that mean? The real you is no longer this old guy that did his thing and did her thing forever and has her own desires. The real you is now hid with Christ in God. It's craziness. Who am I? Only God can tell you. Because you're in Jesus Christ. You're in the Spirit. You say, well, I hope I get the Spirit someday. By the way, if you're hoping that you get the Spirit, you don't think you have the Spirit, you're not saved. If somebody tells you that you get saved and you get the Spirit, the Bible says here, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Why? It is the Spirit of God that seals that new identity and keeps it safe. You've heard of those uh, time capsules they bury in the dirt and they pull them back up 30 years later and say, oh, well, look at this. Would you just look at that? Right? That's so cool. Look at that. That's what the Lord does when you get saved. Except it's not a physical capsule. It's a spiritual capsule that he puts you in and keeps you safe and saved until the day of redemption. Now, here's the kicker. Are you with me today? The kicker is, you still have this old, carnal, nasty mind that doesn't give a rip about God. And is constantly striving to be better and do more and really be better than other people and live as the king or queen of your kingdom. That mind is still there. You still have the carnal mind. That's why I hate about the Christian life. As good as I know God is, and as much as I know what he's done for me because he told me, I still have that old nature that doesn't care. I don't care. Church, schmirch. Bible, schmeibel. I've got other things to watch. I've got other fish to fry. You have that mind. Hey, listen, or you may be, your mind may be better than my mind, that old nature mind. Your mind may be saying, well, I've always been faithful to church. I've never lied. I have never cheated. I've never stolen. I have done many wondrous works. Yeah, that old nature's going to hell too. Because you don't get to heaven by being good. You get to heaven by the grace and mercy of God. It gives you as a free gift, his salvation. This is yours. You didn't earn it, but I bought it for you. But I still have that old nature. 
It's called the carnal mind. And the carnal mind is enmity against God. Every time God walks by, the carnal mind says, Every time you walk by the Bible, the carnal mind says, You've read it before. Every time I hear about prayer, I said, Prayer, give me a break, talking in the thin air. That's my carnal mind. It's enmity against God. It's not just like, All right, God, you do your thing, I'll do mine. It hates God. That's why we have to guard our thoughts. If I feed that carnal mind, guess what I'm going to think about God? Negative, dark, depressing, discouraging, weak, shallow thoughts about God and His Word. Why? It's an enmity. It's an enmity. Take your Bibles and go to... Um, I'm sorry, your state, let me read one more verse. Verse 8, two more verses. He said, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Okay. Now take your Bibles and go, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. So the first thing we need to know is that we must receive the mind of Christ through the new birth. Receive it. Number two. Now we won't take the time to delve into this with a lot of verses, but I want to put this here. Number two. Remove sources of sinful thoughts. All right? You can't have a pure thought life. A life, a, a thought life that honors God, unless you get rid of things that defile your mind. You can't get clean lying in a mud hole. You know what America says today? America says, well, who says a mud hole isn't clean? It's actually natural. It's the minerals that go into my skin and it's exfoliation. That's what Americans say about sin. Who's to say what sin is? God. God. Not the fundamentalist church that you grew up in. Boy, a lot of people deconstructing nowadays. It's like, I was hurt a lot. You've never been hurt by God. You've never been hurt by God. And I'm not not trying to downplay your pain. You've got pain just like everybody else. Everybody's been hurt. You know what the devil tells you? Your hurt means you're special and deserve special treatment. Hey, it wasn't it Adam and Eve that were in the garden. Everything was pretty good. And he came along and made them discontent with the creator God who loved them. And gave them the perfect idyllic existence. He got in between them and God. What makes you think he stopped? He's still rolling, baby. He knows how to get in there. He accuses us against God. And he accuses God to us. So we have to be careful. We have to be watchful. And one of the things we need to do is we need to stop feeding sinful thoughts. When I said it again, uh, listen, we all are addicted to the phones. We got to be careful with those things. Amen. Hey, I've seen some good things in Gen Z nowadays. They're saying, hey, I can walk away from this phone. And it's funny, the baby boomers are the ones, these kids and their phones. I know. I don't understand this generation. I'm telling you. They're addicted. It's what it is. <laughs> You're a human just like every other human. We're all the same. Our old nature is the same. What should we do? Well, I'm going to read something to you from a guy named Kent Hughes who wrote Disciplines of a Godly Man. And he wrote, he wrote this. I am aware of the wise warning against using words like all, every, and always in what I say. Absolutizing one's pronouncements is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here it is. Look at your seatbelt, please. No smoking. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week upon week, day in and day out, watching the major TV networks or contemporary videos to have a Christian mind. This is always true of all Christians in every situation. Pretty good for a Presbyterian. That's what I meant by when we leave here, we're going to do exactly the same thing we've always done. We're not going to adjust anything. But we're going to develop a little neurosis. We're going to to have a little tick, a little thing, a little mental difficulty. Can I tell you why? Because of what you're taking in. Because of what you're feeding yourself. That's why. It's like 
you know, Brother Gip always said, you see a guy hitting himself in the head with a hammer. And you say, why are you doing that? He said, because it feels so good when I stop. (laughs) But you never do. You got to remove the sources of sinful thoughts. Remove them. Christian, do we really have to know and see and watch and hear and listen to everything? I mean, do we have to? No. I wouldn't bet, but some of your difficulties, your stress, your anxiety, your depression, is directly tied to the normal habits that you have. You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself. It would be wrong to commit suicide. Well, what if you did it over 20 years? You see, it's so easy to say, they're bad, they're bad, that's junk, I don't do it. And Christians, you know what we do? We inoculate, inoculate ourselves because we don't watch the worst stuff. We don't listen to the really bad stuff. Just our own special custom sin that degrades our mind and paralyzes us in our walk. It keeps us frozen. Why? Because all we can think about is how we've set up certain things that we won't do, and yet everything else is allowed full access 24-7 into our mind. Be careful. Remove sources of sinful thoughts. Number three, and lastly, renew your mind through God's Word daily. Take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Renew your mind through God's Word daily. Here is the important thing to remember. You have the mind of Christ, but just like your old nature doesn't stop, that new nature also must be renewed. It doesn't stay the way it is. It fluctuates. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're supposed to read the Bible. If you're not a reader... Start reading. If you can't read, listen. Why? Because he says he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. It's like a daily shower. It cleanses the dirt of the world off of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man. You're not going to get to know God by just uh, you know, thinking thoughts about him. You get to know God through the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, pardon another quote. I had a lot of quotes this morning. Kent Hughes said this, You cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. And I would expand upon that. You cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not think about. So he says here, we have the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom, hello psychologist, psychiatrist, man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In the context, he's talking about words. He's talking about studying the Bible. That's how I know the mind of God. He said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know what? You know where you are with God. You know where you are spiritually by what you think of that book. If you think that book has some good thoughts, but, you know, not all truth is in Scripture, you haven't been reading the Bible. If, you're, if you kind of think that, well, I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but, you know, to each his own, and there's different translations, and blah, blah, blah. You haven't been reading the Bible. If you're convinced that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, you've been reading the Bible. It's a very interesting book. It's not like any other book. It actually grows on you the more you read it. The less you read it, the more you're not convinced that it really has the answer. You might even step out inside and say, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe. You might even go as far as Andy Stanley goes, who says, 
You don't need the Bible to prove Christianity is true. We don't even have to have the Bible to prove that Christianity is true. Can I tell you? First of all, the only thing we know about Christianity came from this book right here. But the devil will tempt you to think you can be a Christian without reading the Bible. You can live your life without ever opening up the words of God. And I'm telling you right now, it's a lie of the devil. You must renew your mind daily. He says here, but he, uh, the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Verse 14, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. The more you get the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God through his words, the less you're concerned about what everyone else thinks of you. He says, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that, we, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is the King James Bible. It's the mind of Christ. On paper. And if your mind is going, wait, 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 the King James Bible? <laughs> okay, well, let's just, let's just make it easy for you. It's the Word of God. Okay? Which, of course, opens a question, which Bible is the Word of God? Right? It's the King James Bible. The mind of Christ is contained in between these two black covers right here. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That God would give us his mind. Here it is. I'm just trying to figure out who I am and where. Listen, I'm not making fun of that. We all have those struggles. But can I remind you of this? That's not the Holy Spirit of God talking. That's your old nature talking. That's not the sweet comfort that comes from God. That's the questions that come from my old nature. I just need to find out who I am. You need to get in the book and find out who he is, and you'll find that you're hidden with him. He'll clear up a lot of things. He says in verse number 16, we have the mind of Christ. Notice, it's renew, not deaden the mind. Not deaden. If the problems are genuinely biological in nature, then pharmaceuticals may be justified. But if the problems are caused by wrong actions or thinking, the Bible teaches us that we need to learn new ways of acting. New ways of thinking by renewing our minds, not anesthetizing them. Not putting our minds to sleep. Boy, I tell you, there's something about this snow coming down. I feel like a bear going up to a cave. I'm going to go to sleep for the rest of my life. Right? But if we're not careful, that sneaks into how we think. We're just kind of groggy. We're not mean. We're not really too sharp. We're just kind of wandering through life. Kind of a little out of it. Hope Jesus comes soon. I have no idea what's going on. Where are we? You know why that is? It's because your mind's not renewed. Renewed. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And if you look back and say all of your relationship with Christ is connected with biological, the reason why you don't have a close walk with God and no energy and no fire and no enthusiasm and no focus and ability to really feel anything anymore is only because you're old now. Years ago, when you were fired up, I guess that was because you just had a lot of testosterone. I guess you just had a lot of estrogen back then. Are you with me? Is there a connection? Listen, if, if your spiritual walk with the Lord came from your testosterone, who needs it? God taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. You know, if you ever had any fire for God, it didn't come from your strength physically. It came from God. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never dies. And if you're in Christ, you have that same spirit. You know what you should do? You should make a plan to live until you die. Live until you die. You say, well, I'm, you know, you'll know what it's like when you get older. Believe me, I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel it. And I feel that old nature telling me, what's the use? I mean, it really gives a rip after all. I mean, you know you're going to die, and you can feel that in there. That's probably cancer. I say this. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed. How? The mind. The mind. Sometimes you've got to shock your body. 
Sometimes you got to take a cold shower to remind yourself that your mind is in control of your body. Your comforts are not in control. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, last verse this morning, and we'll get you out of here. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, if there's no actual biological or chemical deficiency, Christians need to learn how to handle their feelings how to handle their thoughts by renewing their thinking and by changing their behavior instead of dulling their emotions with drugs. We need to bring our thought life into submission to Christ by learning to think biblically about every aspect of life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we've looked at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and we haven't even studied the text at all, except I wanted to really drive home the importance of thinking about our thoughts. If we're to think like Christ and have our hearts in line with the Lord Jesus, it's going to start with the mind. Let me close by reading a poem to you from Annie Johnson Flint, entitled God's Thoughts and Mine. The hammer thoughts that pound and shatter peace... The rodent thoughts that gnaw and will not cease. The briar thoughts that pull and prick and scratch. The rover thoughts that I can never catch. The serpent thoughts that leave their lairs at night. The shadow thoughts that dim the new day's light. These are my thoughts. Oh, take them, Lord, I pray, out of my heart and cast them far away. And in their stead, give me those thoughts of thine so crystal clear, so holy, high, and fine, that I shall grow by their pure grace enticed, worthy to think the lovely thoughts of Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer.